The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest episode of Strange New Worlds called Under the Cloak of War. I'm Don Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash Media. Retweet us on Twitter or X, I guess we got to call it now, yeah. at SQPN. Do you re-access on X or what do they call that now? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, it's all, yeah, that's a whole, check into the secrets of technology where we'll discuss that implication. And uh, also leave us comments wherever you'll find us on social media, wherever, wherever it's called these days. Uh, I want to tell you about another show in the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy, full of Star Trek fans called The Catholics of Oz. And you can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Oz. All right, we're talking about Under the Cloak of War. And Jimmy, can you give us a recap of this episode? This week's episode has strong echoes of Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. It's an Mbenga and Chapel-focused episode that involves a visit from a Klingon ambassador named Ra. Only, he's not an ambassador for the Klingon Empire. Instead, he's a defector who is an ambassador for the Federation, and he's just completed an important diplomatic negotiation. But not all is well with the crew of the Enterprise. Even though Ra seems completely friendly and sold on the idea of peace, some have very hard feelings toward him. This includes Mbenga and Chapel, who served on the moon of Jagal, which was the scene of a terrible massacre involving Ra. He says the events on the moon were what changed him, but there's another side to the story. We learn that before he was a doctor, Mbenga was an assassin who had invented the super soldier drug we saw him and Chapel use a few episodes ago. The events on the moon were so horrible that Mbenga decided to set aside his medical practice and become an assassin again and kill General Ra. Based on what he saw when Ra was escaping from the moon of Jagal, he knows that Ra has been lying about his history. And though Ra wants the two of them to become allies to advance Federation Klingon relations, Mbenga won't have it. When Ra insists, a fight starts between them, and Mbenga stabs Ra to death with, with his own weapon. Afterwards, he and Chapel, who witnessed the fight, deliberately lie and say that Ra started the fight after something Mbenga really did say. Pike then privately encourages Mbenga to come clean with him, but he cagely tells Pike that Pike hasn't lived his life and they don't see eye to eye on every issue. The end. Intense. Father Corey, mm. uh, your overall impression of this episode. This was I, I'm, a very well done episode. And I think it was it was one that has been sorely lacking in Star Trek in general is we've had a couple episodes kind of like this as well, but we, not as much uh, where it really deals with the effects of war on the people on the ground. Um, mm -hmm. And so I don't want to say it's a good episode, but it was very much a necessary episode, I would argue. Um, because it showed the effects of the, you know, support people. This wasn't the people actually fighting the war for most of it. It was the people, it was the medics. It was the people who were behind the lines trying to keep people alive, trying to, trying to cure people who have been harmed by the war 
it shows the effects of PTSD on people after the war, you know, on what they saw and what they, they faced. Um, including their so, heroes. Yeah. Include. Yeah. You know, th- that these were these th- Star Trek is such a bad habit of, of viewing things literally from orbit that now it was brought down to earth, you know? And so it was, I think it was, it was a very well done episode. I think it was, it was a great episode. Um, uh, and was well acted, well directed, everything, you know, it, it re- I think it did a, a fantastic job. Jimmy. I thought it was a very well done episode as well. Um, one of the things I've noticed is they seem to be doing a pattern in this season of Lower Decks of alternating light and serious episodes. So, you know, we've had four episodes in a row that have gone light, serious, light, serious. And the contrast was especially stark between last week's comedic Those Old Scientists which was the uh, Lower Decks crossover, and this episode, which is super heavy in comparison. Um, I thought this episode seriously deepened the characters of both Mbenga and Chapel, mm. um, And it has echoes of other Star Trek episodes, but puts them together in a different way. Um, I mentioned in my recap that it has echoes, echoes of Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, which is about... Mm-hmm. Is it possible to end tensions with Klingons? And we have that in microcosm here. Is it possible to end tensions with this Klingon? Um, It also has elements of the Deep Space Nine episode, The Siege of AR-558, which, like this episode, features a temporary uh, base under attack in wartime. And I thought this was much better than the Siege mm-hmm. of AR-558. Oh, yeah. I've never really liked that episode. Um, even though I Deep Space Nine is my favorite series, I thought that was one of the weaker episodes. And it also has similarities to another Deep Space Nine episode, which is In the Pale Moonlight, where Captain Sisko lies and causes a Romulan, an innocent Romulan's death in order to achieve his goals and get the Federation and get the Romulans into the Dominion War on the side of the Federation. Well, in this, we have a main character who lies and gets away with it and kills somebody Mm. and isn't punished for it. Um, And his his killing of this person remains undiscovered legally. So he gets away with murder. Right. And, uh, And something else I would compare it to is the uh, something completely different which is mash the old tv mm-hmm. show yeah. and before yep. that movie which yep. was a comedic a comedic drama a drama or dramedy they they say these days uh but it shows a surgical hospital unit yeah in, mm-hmm. right behind the enemy lines under siege with the trauma that's involved in that yeah i i have that in my notes that chapel is assigned on jagal to a, what's essentially a mash unit a mobile army surgical hospital exactly yep. Uh, I I really enjoyed this too, uh, and with that contrast, I noticed the contrast between uh, the last episode and uh, as well, and just the themes of like forgiveness, forgiving an enemy that you've been at war with, trusting a former enemy, trusting conversion and repentance, mm-hmm. which can be hard. Uh, so, so big themes there, um, and it's interesting because we have the siege of AR five five eight. In from Discovery, which you mentioned, which was in the 90s. And then this one, which 
felt like it was informed by a lot of experiences that people had in Afghanistan and Iraq, a lot of soldiers, you know, it's Mm -hmm. a fire described as a fire base and, you know, the under siege and the civilians caught in the crossfire and um, total war against anyone who's not a Klingon soldier. And that sort of thing really sounds similar to things I've, I've read about regarding dealing with the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. And, and even the, even the, how, the main characters who were in this battle at, at the, the, the mass unit, how they reacted after, you know, it was very right. much more like Afghanistan and Iraq than you might've heard from veterans of other wars, mm. you know, cause how the PTSD plays out for different, different wars plays out very differently. And in part that's due to how the soldiers are treated immediately after they've, they've had a, um, serious problem on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. I was recently reading a book about um, about it focused specifically on the treatment of um, of mental issues in World War Two. But one of the things it pointed out is that the um, the soldiers who experienced uh, trauma in World War One, what was then called shell shock, um, had much better outcomes than the soldiers at the beginning of World War II, because what they found was if you get the soldiers taken to a, you don't ship them all off to a distant location and isolate them from their buddies. You keep them in, in World War I, they were kept in hospitals that were close to the front lines. They were in contact with their buddies. They wanted to get back into action as soon as they could. And they were helped in a way that enabled them to do that. And they had better long-term outcomes. But after the after World War I, a theory developed that only people who have some underlying mental flaw will, will break mm. in combat. And so what you want to do is identify those people early so that you don't put them into combat. And they tried to do that at the beginning of World War II with American soldiers. They would have psychiatrists and psychologists review them before they were approved for combat duty. But there were the the situation was so urgent, they were asking like a couple, three questions of these guys and basically rubber stamping them. And and then they would get into combat. And when someone would have an episode after severe combat, um, they would say, OK, this is one of the ones that bro- broke. So he's got an underlying flaw. We need to ship him back to the States. And it turned out that was much more traumatic, being isolated from their buddies and told they're not fit anymore. That caused long term problems. And when they started realizing it, because they were running out of soldiers, they they needed to shift gears and adopt a more World War One like model in how, in terms of how they treated the soldiers after they had a combat a severe combat episode, and they returned to having better outcomes. Whereas, like you look at the Vietnam War and the guys who came back after that, a lot of them were treated like dirt, and they had not good outcomes, and. Um, so it was very interesting to me watching how Mbenga and Chapel are treating these soldiers who have physical injuries, but also are dealing with um, traumatic shock 
And and I thought I, I don't know that the writers know the history of this issue, um, but it was it was good to see some of the things they were doing. It's like, OK, yes, this is more like the World War One strategy. These guys are going to have better outcomes, assuming they survive, which none of them did. Um, but uh, also there was a nice callback to another Deep Space Nine episode in this where Mbenga is treating a soldier who's got injuries and. And there's a dramatic moment where he and Chapel they don't have an internal organ regenerator. And so they, they're having to do everything mechanically, and the guy's heart stops while they're working on him. And, uh, and Mbenga tells Chapel, grab his heart and start squeezing. And she does. And when he wakes up, the guy, Mbenga asks him how he feels. And he says, like, someone squeezed my heart. And he says, well, someone did. And he starts talking to him about where he's from. The guy says he's from New Angeles, which is a city, as Mbenga says, on Terra Luna, which would be Latin for Earth Moon. Yeah. <laughs> and and the the soldier just says, we always just called it the moon. And that that ties in to um, to the episode Valiant, where um, Jake and Nog uh, are on a are on a ship that's manned by cadets that was lost contact during the Dominion War. And Jake meets a woman from the moon and and he says, oh, from you're from Luna, a lunar schooner, as my grandfather says. And she says, everyone who's ever lived on the moon just calls it the moon. (laughs) (laughs) so um we have this klingon defector uh raw i think Mm -hmm. it seems exceedingly odd to me that i mean you'd have sure a defecting general you bring him over you you know you pump him for all the information you can but to make him an ambassador for the federation so soon after the war seems like three three years later but yeah yeah, it Can is. You imagine, it is rather quick as a career move. I can't imagine like a a, a a German, a general from the Nazi German army in 1949 being made a ambassador for the United States, for instance. You know, it just seems weird. Well, and they they they, they phrase it as, you know, he's had this conversion of heart, you know, that he, he's he's recognized the harm that the Klingon way has done and the harm the Klingons have done in the war. So he, he wants to turn to peace. And of course, it, it seems more like he's trying to stay with the winning side mm-hmm. more than an actual conversion. And that, that kind of comes out throughout the conversations. He is shockingly anti-Klingon. And so, yes. I mean, there's no other ways to put it. He's he's really trash talking his own people. At one point early on, he says they're a warmongering race limited by ideology. That's mm-hmm. pretty hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the. Uh, He's he's called the butcher of Jagal, and that's the, that could have been the title of the episode. By the way, I, I think mm-hmm. it could have been. I, I don't mind the title under the cloak of war uh, because that also has some subtleties to it. But but it's interesting how at the end it turns out that Mbenga says I'm the butcher of Jagal. Like he, there's an internal conflict in Mbenga about his own participation in warlike activities. He was as you said, assassin, or I interpret it as like special ops. He was like a, what we'd say of like Delta force or green beret or something. There, there was a question of how, you know, how could this, this, uh, doctor be such a good fighter, you know, cause we've seen a couple of, couple of episodes yeah. Yeah, where, where he, yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's a butt kicker. 
I mean, he really has the ability to fight and fight well, especially hand to hand. Well, it turns out that he was a special forces uh, crew or special forces super soldier. Really, yeah. he developed the uh, protocol twelve, the 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 serum, the the super soldier drug that allows them, you know, pumps up their their adrenaline, get, you know, gives them you know painkiller so that they can just fight without any con, you know, well, not without any consequence, but without without feeling the consequences at the moment, right? So they can fight without reserve. And uh, and he gets so sick of it that he becomes he becomes a medical doctor. And that's right. how he ends up as uh, as the uh, the doctor on the Enterprise. I finally find that um, Pike's role in this is interesting because he's he's has the privilege, shall we say. In fact, I think it's, mm-hmm. in fact, this that word is used at some point of being hopeful, being magnanimous toward raw uh, because. He wasn't there during the war. The Enterprise mm-hmm. was actually mm-hmm. off in a far distant sector during the war and didn't participate in it. And apparently Mbenga, Chapel, and Ortegas were not on it at that time. Right. And and so his attitude toward rock can be much more magnanimous and, you know, forgiving and all of that because he didn't experience the war. And that's an interesting it's interesting that we take our hero captain and mm-hmm. put him sort of on the outside and sort of put him on sort of the, you almost say the wrong side of this divide. I don't, know if it's the, I don't know if it's the wrong side, but he is in a very different position than Captain Kirk is in Star Trek six, where, you know, yeah. Klingons killed my boy. He's been a cold warrior. He's, he's fought Klingons all his career. And now Kirk has to come personally to the idea of peace with them. And he's, that gives him inner turmoil. Well, Pike doesn't have that because he was forced to sit out the Klingon war. And so the Kirk role really goes to Dr. Mbenga. Um, We also even another one of the similarities that I hadn't mentioned yet between this and Star Trek six is both of them feature really tense dinner parties. Yes. um, With with human Klingon dinner parties where in, you know, we have in Star Trek six, we have the whole crew of the Klingon ship with the main crew or the main crew of the Klingon ship with the main crew of the Enterprise sitting down together for dinner. And here we it's just it's just raw. But um, you got all our main characters who have shown up because Pike has asked them. They're doing this as a gesture and the dinner party still falls apart. Yeah. Right. Well, and one th- one thing I will say with Pike is he really stands in for those of us who have never been in war, who we've watched wars from the outside. And, and, and I would include myself with that. You know, I, I you know, I've, I've served in the Air Force, but I was during a time that was relatively peaceful. Even my, my deployment to Saudi Arabia was during a time when there was no active hostilities in the region. It was considered a hostile zone, you know, uh, but there was nothing going on. There are no bullets flying. There are no missiles being launched, anything like that. So we don't know what it's like to be in that situation. And we can we can learn about it. And, you know, Pike has learned about it and he's heard about the atrocities and everything, but he's not experienced it from himself. So he can't he can't say that. Well, they how people would react to being put in the room with this person for the dinner party, you know, because I, I can imagine that if Pike had, had experienced the war directly, even as a a captain of like a, a ship from one of the the uh, uh, convoys, you know, where he was just coming in and out of the war zone, he would never have asked Mbenga and Chapel and Ortegas to come to the dinner party, knowing knowing that they faced this this general or a general like him personally. Yeah, 
One thing when so early on in this, um, Ra has a hand injury and is taken to sick bay, you know, just after he arrives on the ship because he Spock is trying to make rock to Gino for him, Klingon coffee, and he he burns his hand on the cup because they're still trying to figure out the temperature settings. And so he goes to he's taken to sick bay. And when he walks in. Mbenga sees him and immediately starts having a panic attack. Um, well, you know, where he's having PTSD manifest strongly real quick. And he he gets a hypo spray and Chapel quickly moves to say, I'll deal with this. But um, Mbenga is by himself trying to control his emotions and we hear his heartbeat super strong and he I don't he doesn't actually hypo himself if I recall correctly he has a hypo and he doesn't use it but I I'm a little surprised they didn't number one have him use a hypo on that occasion and also before going into the dinner party um, it would be like you know taking something to just slow down your heart rate like a beta blocker which which can be used to treat uh, panic attacks and PTSD symptoms, and so since he's a doctor, I'm a little surprised he didn't he didn't just take something to slow down his heart his heartbeat and make it easier to handle these situations. See, I, I missed that it was a hypo spray. I thought it was a, a wrench that he was using to work on the bio bed that wasn't oh that was malfunctioning. Hmm. Like well, maybe he was I misidentified it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I thought it looked like he was he was actually resisting attacking hmm. raw right i'd have to watch it again yeah, yeah. and so rod like asks for this tour of the ship by the way you know he's, he wants to see and at every turn on the tour so, there's an awkward encounter like whether it's on the bridge where ortegas is talking about him as the butcher of jagal who sacrificed his own men to save his own neck you know as <laughs> As he walks on the bridge and your is like, uh, like, you know, like doing this, but not, you know, uh, making the shut up motion. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's this this tour and. um, Then and then he ends up, yeah, uh, uh, Spock trying to make him the rock to Gino and he ends up uh, injuring himself despite the well-known Klingon ability to um, endure pain. It still causes injury. Um, so we and we have in this episode, we have this this switching back and forth between present moment and flashbacks to the battle of Jagal. And um, we start with chapel arriving at this mash unit and um, greeted by Buck. It's, the, it's yep. the kid who drinks Tranya all grown <laughs> yep. up and old now. Ron, Ron, um, Ron Howard's brother, Clint. Howard's pa- brother, Clint, who yeah. maintains his run as the longest span between first appearance on Star Trek and most recent appearance on Star Trek, he was in Discovery, uh, mm-hmm. but and he was in Picard, I think, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think he voiced some. He had like a small voice part in Lord X as well, if I remember. Right, and now so he's been in almost every Star Trek series. Yes, TOS, DS Nine, Enterprise, you- Discovery. He missed TNG. That's what it was. Was it? Oh, yeah, I think I think you're right. Yeah. Was he in Voyager? I think he had a part in Voyager at one point. Right. And in this, he's playing a character who's the chief medical officer. So Mbenga, it, at this point, is a doctor working under him. Um, and he has these weird characteristics. One of them is he 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 fuses 
It's kind of like a malapropism. It's not exactly the same. A malapropism is um, a usage where you use an inappropriate word that kind of sounds the same. And it's based on a, a character named Mrs. Malaprop. Malaprop would mean like bad word or bad saying uh, from a, a 18th century play called The Rivals. And she'll say things like, oh, it's just like an allegory on the banks of the Nile. Instead of an alligator, (laughs) Alligator. which also they don't have in Egypt. They have crocodiles. Right. Um, But uh, it sounds the same. And he does something a little different where he takes parts of um, different uh, different sayings and fuses them together. It's it's kind of like in a in a weird way, like um, like Biff Tannen in Back to the Future, you know, have a nice trip. See you next winter (laughs) instead of next fall. And so Buck says things like, I'll run it up the flagpole and see if it quacks. And (laughs) a watch pot doesn't get the oil. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of Yogi Berra-isms, you know, like yeah. you just find a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that kind of thing, you know. He also does have a saying he uses that is more straightforward, although less familiar to moderns. He'll, he'll say when they're about to have a combat experience, he'll say bills and bows. And that was actually that's from uh, British military history. In England, before the development of uh, a widespread use of firearms, you had guys who were spearmen that used bills and archers who would use bows. So bills and bows was a command to get ready for battle, get your bills and your bows ready. Mm-hmm. OK, that's good. Yeah, that's a reference that was that was uh, they just kind of left there. That's good that uh, you knew that I was wondering. We also in this sequence get an anticipation of uh, Mbenga's use of the transporter buffer to keep his daughter alive mm-hmm. because he's been doing that with the with some of the cases that have been coming across through the MASH unit. We don't have what we need to save him right now, so stick him in the transporter buffer until we can get what we need. And um, and so that anticipates what he'll later do with his daughter, which was nice. There's also a really tense moment where in order to get the transporter working when they're about to have incoming casualties, it's like on on the TV show MASH when they would say incoming, you know, they, they're about to have they have the computer saying something like, you know, transport arriving or something like that. And at one point, the transporter is jammed up. And in order to let the new casualties come in, the only thing they can do is clear the buffer. And Chapel is hesitating to do that. And Mbenga just reaches over and pushes the purge cash button. He doesn't hesitate even. Yeah. yeah. Which is a huge dramatic character moment because it shows his state of mind in that. Mm-hmm. Like he's just, it's triage. We've got to save yeah. the ones who can be saved and he can't be saved. Well, and they, they even show that with, with Chapel. She, she gets, she, she beams down and has about like five minutes of conversation with, with Buck, Commander Buck. And then all of a sudden triage now. And it's like, right. you know, burns over here, wounds over there. This person needs to go here, you know, just immediate on the ground run. Right. We, we might explain what triage is for people who are not familiar with this aspect of emergency uh, medicine. Triage, as it so- you can hear, it sounds like the tree in triage, it sounds like triangle or triple or something. That's because that's what it is to triage. People is to put them into three different categories, hopeless, 
will do fine and needs urgent treatment. And so if the person, if you see the person and their wounds are hopeless and you can't help them, you just put them aside and don't waste energy on them because their case is hopeless. If they're going to do fine from their wounds, you again, put them aside uh, and don't waste current time on them. You focus on those who are on the border who are between hopeless and fine that need urgent that need medical care urgently and you focus on the urgent cases and so that's what the triage process does is it lets you identify lost causes from will be fine so you can focus on the needs urgent care now cases yeah and they they actually called that out in the episode where that alvarez the the the, the troop that was put into the transport buffer and eventually flushed that they said you know, Chapel says something like, you know, give them, give them morphine and set them aside. And then that's when they decided to put them in the transport buffer instead. Right. But it was, it was just like that. You, you, you do everything you do can do as quickly as possible to make them as comfortable as possible. And then you move on to the next case. And triage is, is only trotted out in the most emergency situations. Yeah. Like when you have limited time and resources. Yeah. yeah. This is, you know, use plane crashes or things like this, serious battles, battles where you have yep. massive number of injuries coming in. And you have to sort through as quickly as possible. You know, again, yeah, a person who's got a little, you know, little flesh wound can go over here. And he's he's fine. You know, put a bandage on him later. You know, this person is is you know severely da- severely harmed, severely hurt. We can't do anything for him right now. Right, right. So um, we we have this. We go. So we're going back and forth. So I'll I'll kind of do that myself in the discussion because I want to talk about that dinner party too, where there's this discussion of peace. And peacemaking and Ra kind of, you know, he recognizes that there's hostility from coming from Chapel, Ortegas, and Mbenga. And, you know, he says, you know, he kind of he has this this axiom. He says, peace is not a destination, it's a journey, a state of mind. You know, it's not something you just have. And uh and Mbenga kind of bristles at that, I think, a bit. Um why well in Ra's reaction in general, how he, how especially how he's speaking during this this dinner party, you know, really struck me as and this is where I, and I said earlier, it's like that he he's not actually repentant for what he did. He's just jumping to the winning side because he keeps talking about how, oh, yes, it was difficult for both of us. And it was, you know, and and this was a struggle for both of us. And he's not, first of all, not recognizing that he's got people in front of them, in front of him, that they know he was the one responsible for this. And he's trying to make himself buddy buddy with, oh yeah, I'm just like you. And it's like, no, you're not like us. You're the one who caused all this. Mm. I'm not sure that he's not genuinely repentant. Um, I I think that he is played in such a way. I mean, he does he 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 did lie about about how he left. Um, he did not kill a particular soldier. He was one of the things that, that Ortegas reveals about him is that there's this rumor that he killed his own men to cover his escape. And he did kill some of them because they were trying to kill him, but he didn't kill all of them. Mbenga was there and killed one of them. And, um, and knew that, um, that Ra is lying about that. Ra apparently did not see Mbenga at the time. Um, so he doesn't know what Mbenga knows. But um, I think he, he, he does consistently talk in terms of, of, um, 
wanting to promote peace, even in his interactions at the end where he's wanting where he ends up getting killed. He's he's talking to him, bingo, about the two of us could really help promote peace together. And he never wavers on that. What he does do when Mbenga confronts him with the fact that your diplomatic career is built on a lie, he says, people need saints and my work would be undone if it was known exactly what happened. Um, And so he, he is rationalizing what he did years ago. But he, I'm not sure he's not genuinely rationalizing it in the service of peace. Yeah, I, I, it just it, it felt it felt very different to me that he was so caught up in himself mm-hmm. that it was that he yeah you know that that it was all about him and because because he even said that his regret at the 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 battle was his cowardice mm-hmm. he says I'm, he says I'm ashamed of my cowardice you know and and that 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 really strikes differently of he it wasn't that he recognized the harm. And the pain and the suffering and the overkill in the battle. Oh no, it wasn't that. It was that he was a coward. He ran away, and that's that's a very different repentance from actually recognizing that he was a source of evil in this battle, and that he needed to repent from that and to find the peace from that. And and just because, like, even the fact that you had where oh, I'm I'm here to bring healing to you, Tortegas. Oh, and I, and that was so patronizing. Yeah. It was ridiculous. And then with when and Mbega when Pike says, Doctor, why don't you go make sure they're both okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And Ross still didn't get the hint of right now Mbega's ready to knock you on your ass. You know? And you're still not catching this. You know, and he grabs, Oh, I hear you do the, the Klingon martial arts, and I would love to spar with you. Yeah. And, and it's taking everything Mbega has to not literally start swinging right there. Right. You know, the, going back to that line that you mentioned, Jimmy, about the saints, you know, because Mbega says to him, you're using the blood on my hands to make yourself a saint. Because he killed that third guy. Right. Yeah. And Ra doesn't dispute that. He just says he wants to he wants to make the utilitarian argument. Well, people need saints. They need belief. If people knew the truth, my work would be undone. And this gets us to a very dicey real world situation, because um, after World War Two, you know, America was not America became the world scientific powerhouse in the mid 20th century, specifically during World War Two with the Manhattan Project. But in order to do the Manhattan Project, we relied on a lot of European refugee physicists. Mm-hmm. And after the war, we have all these Nazi scientists left over and Japanese scientists left over. And we had a Cold War going with the Russians. And so who gets the scientists that we just conquered was a big issue. And you had people like Werner von Heisenberg, who was a Nazi scientist. Um, but we ended up getting him here in America and the, the, uh, the Russians got other German scientists. And we also scooped up a bunch of Japanese scientists with operation paperclip. And so how do you, how do you deal with these people? They are on our side now. And there's still this question though, of how repentant are they versus how opportunistic are they? And what can we tolerate? 
in terms of if they're not fully repentant, can we still use them constructively anyway? And I think that's the position that um, Ra is in. He's kind of like a Werner von Heisenberg. He was on the other side. He's now on our side. And there's an open question of just how sincere is he? But as long as he's on our side and working for us constructively, do we actually need him to be fully sincere and repentant? And Mbenga's position is yes. He needs to, his career is built on lies. He needs to come clean about that. And he's not doing that. So I don't want to have anything to do with him. But I tend to be a little more pragmatic. I can, I understand Mbenga's feelings given the situation he was in. But I'm more like Pike on this. Even if he's not fully repentant, he's doing constructive work and he can do that. And we don't need to have a full public airing of his exact history. Yeah. Well, I mean, we had we had Von Braun is I think you're trying to think of, right? Werner Von Braun. Oh, Vern well, Braun. true. Although Heisenberg was also um but um, Nazi scientist. But, but Von Braun, you know, of course, he was he involved was the one who came with to the, US. The, v, yeah. the V2 mission v2 development with the rockets but then of course came over here and was involved with nasa and the apollo mission so on and actually for all mankind the apple tv series where it's an alternate universe uh story alternate timeline story where the russians get to the moon first he actually gets put on von braun actually gets put on trial before congress because of his work as a nazi and that's what and so they kind of yeah you know they they, they explore that storyline uh, in, in that actually, and they, I think they do a really good job where he, he's instead of Von Braun being seen as a hero who helped the U S make it to the moon and all that, his, his career is basically destroyed because, because of his, his time as a Nazi. He had some wild space exploration plans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the, and, and in fact, Mbenga brings up this, these questions later with Pike, like should, the diplomatic corps ever have let Ra represent the Federation? What what about the victims? How do they, mm -hmm. how, you know, how would they, they and their survivors view this, that this war criminal butcher would be allowed to be represent the, the Federation's ideals? You know, what about justice? Doesn't everyone deserve to pay for their actions, he says? Well, and that's exactly the Werner von Braun, you know, dilemma that we've we faced with a lot of scientists and actually the scientists were kind of triaged in terms of how bad are they mm -hmm. and what skills do they have well and, and i think if we want to use a contemporary issue can you imagine like a member of the taliban becoming a u.s ambassador <laughs> right you know and how how the troops would feel that had to fight against the taliban and deal with you know the issues the the terrorism and so on that that the taliban caused how would how would they react to that? And I mean, obviously, it didn't happen and it won't happen, most likely. But um, I, I wouldn't put anything past our, the U.S. government anymore <laughs> on any side of the arguments. But um, but I mean, just how how would how would those who fought in Afghanistan feel about that situation? You know, I, f I feel like in Benga at this point, and understandably so, given the trauma he's experienced, makes this false dichotomy between justice and mercy. You know, he's you know, he says. Um, there's a different, you know, there's a separation between paying for crimes and redemption. You know, you can, you can, redemption comes after you've made restitution, but forgiveness can come first. Forgiveness doesn't have to follow restitution. And I think that's a 
a, a flaw, which I don't think it's a flaw in the writing per se. I think it's it just shows Mbenga's own personal pain and trauma that he suffered has caused him to forget that forgiveness can come first. Um, that well, and, and as Christians, as Christians, we believe that God is infinitely just, but He is also infinitely merciful. Merciful. Right. The two are not opposed to each other. The two work hand in hand. You can't have true justice without mercy, and you can't have true mercy without justice. Right. And in fact, the the part of Mbenga's you know, thinking on this comes out when when he does say, and this is the thing I referenced earlier, he says, Pike has the privilege of believing the best in people, but Mbengus knows that there are some things in this world that don't deserve forgiveness. And that's not true, is it? Right? No. From our point of view. Well, they may not deserve forgiveness, but if the person is penitent, they warrant forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Right. That's it's true. The peni- it's the penitence that warrants forgiveness, not the action that was committed. Yes. Yes. But people, yes, people who are repentant deserve to be forgiven. And and forgiveness does not mean forgetting. You yeah. know, you still will have, we can forgive a murderer, but they're still going to have to do time in jail. Right. They're still going to have to make restitution for what they did. Yeah. Just like, as my mom always said, you don't have to like your sister, but you have to love her. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and I, I both like and love my sister. But uh, when I was 10, that might not have been the case. But uh, but this that's the thing is, is forgiveness does not mean necessarily mean you have to forget or even to like the the person. Um, one of the things that Mbenga says um, on Jagal is that uh, as he's talking to this wounded soldier that he brought back, you know, with the, the heart. Uh, you know, massage. Mm-hmm. Um, he tells him, "Yeah, we have to fight so the people we love can live in peace." That's Starfleet, and that's a that's a very common soldier's way of looking at things. Is we, you know, we fight so that others don't have to suffer what we're suffering. And that is actually one of the things I noticed. By the way, another thing I liked in the heart massage scene is when Chapel is starting to do it, but freaking out about the fact she's grabbing someone's heart and squeezing which is not something a high-tech medical professional in the 24th century is expecting to have to do. He just says, eyes up, you know, just don't, don't look at what you're doing. Just do it. Yeah. And, um, and then when the guy has come back to consciousness, one of the things Omega starts doing is talking to him about the folks back home and how we're fighting for them. And that was a big part of the successful World War One post-traumatic stress treatment was reminding people about the folks back home, why we're fighting, who we're fighting, and that that got incorporated into the more successful World War Two stuff, as well as a desire to be with your buddies and not get too isolated from the front lines. And to come back as a person that they want to be with, right? To come back rec- as a recog- the recognizably the person who left. And that's a, that was another Im- interesting and important element to that was that because war changes you and you have to can't let it change you to the point where you're no longer recognizable, um, which is, I think, maybe a bit of a, a premonition of what Mbenga is going through at the end, you know, <laughs> having mm-hmm. been changed by war. Um, I think the acting and directing in this episode were really above mm-hmm. above par above average they were really great i, I think that the, the issue of you know not letting war change you is, is one reason why uh especially world war ii vets were reluctant to talk about their experiences mm-hmm. because they knew that those experiences had changed them in some ways but they were able to to use the words of, of uh, uh the previous episode fake it until you make it right type of thing you know 
they're able to recover who they were, but only when they weren't dwelling on what happened. They even use a variant on that line in this episode where Mbanga is talking to Ortegas uh, before the dinner party. And he says, sometimes if you pretend something long enough, it becomes the truth. In other words, Mm -hmm. fake it till you make it. Yes. Yep. Yep. There is one bit of dialogue, though, that I thought was, and this is a minor criticism, but it it is a writing criticism. At one point, um, this Andorian special ops guy is talking to Mbenga, and he wants he wants Protocol Twelve. He wants the super soldier drug because he says we we know that General Dakra, to use his fuller title, is in charge of all this, and we need a leg up to deal with them, and. Um, and uh, Mbenga initially refuses to to recreate Protocol 12. But the Andorian says that General Dakra has ordered his men to kill anyone on site if they aren't a Klingon soldier after they torture them. And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, how are, you killing, how are you killing them on site if you're torturing them first? You're not killing them on site. You're killing them post-torture. <laughs> right, right. I, I thought the same thing as, as, as when I heard that. That was true. There's another uh, relationship in this episode between Chapel and Spock that I thought was very interesting. And Spock and Chapel are in this relationship and Spock not yet quite familiar with human emotions and your relationships is trying to wants to help chapel deal with her trauma her you know, post war trauma that she's suffering. And he keeps trying to do things. And she basically just says, this is something you can't help me with. Let me be uh, this, you know, it, you just can't do anything with it. I also like at one point they show the extent after she's had experience in this mash unit and seen what the Klingons are doing to people at one point when uh, Mbenga does recreate the Protocol 12 and he gives her some of it, too, in case she needs it while she's helping evacuate people. Um, So she's apparently had also used it before. We saw the two of them use it in the previous episode, um, but he's heading off on his mission and she tells him, you make them pay. It's like she is all sold on this. Just kill them, you know, make them pay for what they've done. Well, it's interesting because they, they've taken the character where Chapel is very. Not really bubbly, but, you know, she seems very upbeat and, you know, happy and everything. And there's this really this darkness to her. There's this 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 hurt that comes from this this experience in the war. And I, I think that's a, a good way to really flesh out the character that and it's not to say that her her upbeat nature and, you know, laughing and joking and all these things is, is a screen. No, it's there's still a wound there. There's still that wound there from the war. And that, that's a good thing to show that not everybody who has a, you know, a generally upbeat nature doesn't have hurt in their past too. You know, another uh, show that actually you know, just recalled that shows nurses and doctors at war. Uh, this one set in the Vietnam war was China beach showed a mm-hmm. lot of that starring Robert Picardo, the holographic doctor and Mark Hellenberger. Right. Yes. Mark Hellenberger. That's right. Right. Dan um, Delaney. Yep. yep. Dan Delaney. It was what I was thinking of, but shows, you know, these people who are in support positions and how they are affected by the war. So, um, and one of the the this is Alec, this metaphor 
throughout the episode about this bio bed that was damaged during the Gorn attack on the Enterprise uh, that Mbengas keep trying to fix. And, you know, in his log at the end, he talks about, you know, I finally got it fixed. Um, but, you know, it's going to it's inevitably going to break again. And, and as soon as he steps away, it breaks. <laughs> man, I have had stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, but it's just, you know, obviously an allegory of himself, Him. you know, it, that he's, you know, tra- traumatized. He keeps trying to, you know, patch up, patch himself up to go on. And yet inevitably he breaks. And in this case, when he broke, he murdered someone. Mm-hmm. Arguably in self-defense, maybe, but. I don't think so. He brought Roz knife. He had Roz knife from yeah. before, from years ago. And yeah. and he had he kept that knife and he brought it with him to his confrontation with Ra. And and so I don't know that we have full premeditation here, but he was prepared to use that knife if Ra didn't back off. Well, I wouldn't say that he brought it with him, but he had it in sick bay and he had opened it up like he was planning to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, I would agree with that. So because yeah. because Ra came to him and Mimbenga a couple of times said, get away from me. Leave me alone. Go away. Yeah. And then finally he snapped and just started shouting at him and then grabbed the knife and ended up killing him. I thought there was a nice subversion of expectations in connection with this because you know, they that you have at the dinner party, um Ra mentions to Mbenga that he knows he does this full contact Klingon judo and he would like to fight with him and to spar with him. And so Mbenga agrees to that. And and um Ra has been using a cane, a walking stick, up to now to get around, but he doesn't fully need it. He says when they are starting to spar, he says, I'm sturdier than I look. And they have this, uh, you know, sparring going on as he's making his initial pitch to Mbenga about given our histories, we could make powerful statements for advancing Klingon human relations and Klingon Federation relations. And I'm thinking, okay, this is this is we're going to have a replay of the Epic of Gilgamesh here. We've got um, we've got Gilgamesh and Enkidu fighting, and they're going to become friends once they get the fighting out of the way. Nope. <laughs> yeah, no. makes it, it worse. He, he, in this one, Enkidu murders Gilgamesh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's uh, and in fact, you I mean Ra was kind of showing his nature, his lying nature, in a sense of like pretending that he needed that cane when he really didn't. You know, making himself look, you know, by making himself look injured and so semi-weak, it makes him less intimidating as a Klingon general. That's certainly one way to read it, although I, I can I can see other readings of it, too. Like he may not need the cane every moment, but he may have twinges or from injuries or something that affect him some of the time. See, that, that that's where I saw I, I, I saw him as being dishonest about about it where it wasn't like a true conversion because of the fact that he didn't need the cane or really, and he didn't really show any sign of using the cane other than an accoutrement. Yeah. Well, and canes can be just affectations, just style choices. Um, but you can certainly read it as a form of dishonesty and say, Oh, he's like guy Caballero. He doesn't really need the wheelchair. He just uses it for respect. <laughs> right. Yeah. And for a Klingon to to have to use a cane would be showing weakness. Yeah, weakness. that would be very yep. unklingon like. 
which actually can be read as sincerity in that he's wanting to show I am not a threat. So he is doing something that for a Klingon would be very atypical. He's bending over backwards to signal I am not a threat. I am I am not going to attack you. So any other uh, notes on this episode, Father Corey? Nothing else here. Jimmy? I like the fact that uh, we get to see what a sonic shower looks like um, because Mbinga takes one at one point. We don't get to see much of it, but we get to see some of it. Also, I like that um, that number one comes to Pike after things have started to go bad and she wants raw off the ship. You know, she tells Pike, we can cut through this nebula and get him off the ship quicker, but we need to get him off the ship because crew morale is low. It is suffering because he's on the ship. And that's a good thing that a first officer would do, you know, and keep the captain informed about how this is going and what his options are. And I like that number one is willing to make the, the you know, the unpleasant call and say, these Federation ideals, they're not working out for us right now. We need to we need to course correct. And literally, literally. (laughs) Um, So I liked that. Um, I found the choice to have Chapel and Mbenga both without consulting each other. Lie. To their superior officer about what happened was a fascinating choice. It is very not Starfleet, but it is very human. And so I I thought that was a great aspect of this. And Mbenga even has, he's really using mental reservation. Um, because when, what and they both do, what they both say is Mbenga didn't start the fight. And that's, that's he did start the physical fight. Um, but he, although it's kind of obscured from us, um, but they, I, I, I took it as what they're saying is he didn't start the larger conflict with, with Ra and they're ignoring his role in the immediate conflict that took Ra's life. And they're relying on misdirection to make Pike and La'an of security chief think that he didn't murder Ra when really he did. But his dodge is, well, I didn't start the fight, meaning the overall conflict. And yet Pike suspects and tries tries to get him, gives him an out if he wants to. But yeah, um, you you mentioned earlier the uh, DS9 episode in the Pale Moonlight, which many, mm-hmm. many people consider to be one of the best episodes of Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, same here. Um, this might be up there with it for me. I mean, this was mm-hmm. an ex. I mean, as we've talked about it, I've come to appreciate even greater the, the levels of sophistication and character depth that they put into this. I really did, did really enjoyed this one. Um, you know, it, it's, I think it's become a trope for every, for Star Trek fans, every episode of uh, Strange New Worlds to say, this is the best one yet. Uh, but but it, it, this was darn good. No, this was very well. Even, even if they did in the, you know, previously on Strange New Worlds, they showed us a scene of Discovery, the Remain Klingon. <laughs> yes. Even if. Even if they had to show us that. Uh, for Ship Geeks, note uh, the USS Kelsey Marie, which was a, a cute little ship at the beginning. That was an uh, interesting yep. little design. Um, don't have much to say little about that. Little shuttle, a little bigger than a shuttle. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And uh, so I think that about does it for this time. And before we go, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Gregory B, Brianna L, Ronald R, Joseph and Michelle L. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that that's it from us this time. We'd love to know what you think of Under the Cloak of War and anything we had to say about it. You can do that by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media. Send an email to trek at sqpn.com or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord. You can watch The Secrets of Star Trek on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Media. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next new episode of Strange New Worlds. Is And if the pattern holds, it should be a nice light. It, it, it will. It's, it's it going to be. be light. It's a musical. So oh, get, yes. get, get ready for Subspace Rhapsody. <laughs> Subspace <sighs> Rhapsody is next. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you. Live long and prosper and have a nice trip. See you next winter. Father <laughs> 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 Corey Stiga, thank you as well. Thank you. And in the course of the theme of musical next time, war, what is it good for? <laughs> nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, some things break in a way that can never be repaired, only managed. Only managed.